The left wants us to believe that our free speech is violence, while their violence is free speech. In the words of uh, John Cleese, if you can't control your own emotions, you're forced to control other people's behavior. That's why the touchiest, most oversensitive, easily upset must not set the standards for the rest of us. In the most recent example is, um, I think, the example of Elon Musk and the purchase of Twitter. They went crazy. Last week, business as usual, Kathy Griffin called Elon Musk a media thirst white supremacist. Joy Reid implied that Musk is nostalgic for apartheid. A Twitter executive called him misogynistic. One of the belligerent hosts at The View claimed Musk was only there to protect the free speech of straight white men. You know, an MSNBC host um, thinking if uh, if he brings and opens the platform up to other people, um, you know, you're just going to be a, you're a white supremacist. That's all that's going to happen. It's just flooding through of white supremacists. That is crazy talk. Time magazine called free speech a tech bro obsession, which has become a paramount concern of the techno moral universe, whatever the hell that is. Today's guest is up to this challenge. He's been publishing books since he was 19, serves as an associate editor at uh, Spectator magazine, and he has a new book out, The War on the West. How to Prevail in the Age of Unreason. He describes the Western anti-Westernism that is assaulting the very foundations of our society all throughout the West. This one, you are going to enjoy somebody who says what they mean and mean what they say. Welcome today, Douglas Murray. Now that DHS has created a department designed to combat disinformation, one has to wonder, gee, what's next? Free speech is under attack, which is why I am proud to support Patriot Mobile. They are America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider, and they are passionate about free speech and your constitutional rights because they... They'll lose them, too. If you lose them, they lose them. They offer the same nationwide coverage as the major carrier, so you get the same great service, plus the peace of mind that your money is combating the left's attempt to silence you. Patriot Mobile, they have plans to fit any budget. 100% U.S.-based customer support team. They give exceptional customer support, and they share your values. They support organizations fighting for religious freedom, constitutional rights, the sanctity of of life and our veteran and first responder heroes switch like i have go to patriotmobile.com slash back patriotmobile.com slash back or call 972 patriot 972 patriot get free activation with the offer code back douglas welcome Glad you're here. Great pleasure to have you actually in studio. Thank you for flying across the uh, ocean. It's a a great pleasure. I'm uh, thrilled to see you in person. Last Mm -hmm. time I know we had to do this virtually. Yeah, yeah. Um, Your book, The War on the West, it couldn't come at a better time. Uh, And I think we're pretty much on the same page Mm -hmm. on, on what's happening. Let me start with the news of the week, which is 
uh, Roe versus Wade here in America. Big. Uh, <laughs> this is a huge cultural shift. Sure. Um, the Supreme Court is basically saying states have to decide. We can't mm-hmm. decide this. It's not in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So legislatures get to decide. People are making this into, you know, a war on women, etc. I personally think just from the response, it was leaked, which is never happened unbelievable, before. unbelievable, um, kind of the tactic that the left mm. likes to use. Uh, and then these spontaneous um, groups started appearing, um, all shouting nothing about rights, women's rights, but uh, pack the court. <coughs> Yeah. Which is, you know, once that happens in a mm. society, you know, you you lose it. Um, I think this is the beginning of a war on the streets with the left. How do you read this? Well, I hope not, obviously. I mean, one of the things, the observations I'd make is that it does accentuate something which has been growing in America in particular in recent years, which is a total divide over the nature of institutions. Mm. Uh, I think this is deadly for a country, I have to say. Um, The point of institutions is that they are something that you agree upon. Right. Um, That people agree on the results of elections, Mm -hmm. agree on Supreme Court decisions. Mm -hmm. They might differ, but Mm -hmm. they recognize the authority of the Supreme Court. Um, there was a time you might say that about almost every institution in American public sure. life, as in any other Western country. And now I just think that the almost nobody seems to have trust in the institutions. And you can pick and choose on occasion. But essentially, you know, there's just, uh, it's very hard to think of an institution in American public life who everyone, which everyone agrees upon. Oh, I don't. I don't think uh, there is anymore. And I've seen a huge, I mean, a huge change even in me. I never thought I would question the Justice Department or the FBI. I don't trust them at all. Um, That's a really interesting development that I see on the American right. I mean, obviously, I I was born in Britain and I live in America now. But the... um, in Britain, if you said, you know, you don't um, you don't have trust in, say, MI5, MI6, GCHQ, uh, any of the departments of government, the, the courts, uh, the election processes, parliament, mm-hmm. etc. If you went through all of that, then you would say, well, that, that, that's not a conservative. Right. You know, a conservative must have faith in some of these institutions. And I think actually the truth is, is that there is very good reason in America for people on the right as on the left to have be deeply suspicious of your institutions sure. because they've politicized themselves it seems All to me it. just one after another yep. you know the minute you have uh, intelligence officials speaking out on political matters mm-hmm. bang of course you're going to lose trust that in is those, the interesting you know? thing about the supreme court decision yeah because it says it cannot make political decisions mm. it's it's not a legislative body Right. If it do, if it's not included in the Constitution, it can't talk about it. Don't you so think there goes are, back. Don't you think there are other things that might unravel as a result of that? Like, um, well, I mean, there are other decisions that the Supreme Court or the courts in this country have made that you might say would be in the hands of the people. Yeah, I would say Obamacare is one of them. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- that's one of the things that strikes me is that. Yeah. Actually, the, although everyone's going to obsess about the specific thing of Roe v. Wade. The fact that the court has said it's not in our jurisdiction so opens up a whole new. So what the left is planning on doing, I guess, 
is to um, at least get rid of the filibuster to pass a uh, a nationwide abortion policy, which the Supreme Court says can be done. But it would fall into what's called the Commerce Clause, which if you know anything about that at all, that was an FDR switch. Right. You know, that took then put the federal government in all of our lives where Mm. it wasn't before that. Right. And there is speculation that a few of the justices would like a second bite at that apple. Um, We are we seemingly are reverting back to more of federalism, Mm. according to the court. That is a good thing. That's a healthy thing, I think. Uh, but what about uh, what about the way in which I mean, specific justices are now going to be? I mean, I would fear for some of the justices. You mean safety? I would. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, if they're is, not the most protected people in Washington, they should be. Uh, I mean, several of them are going to be among the most hated people to significant chunk of the country. Uh, I. Um, it's funny because we've left this place to where uh, you can respect Ginsburg. You know, when Ginsburg died, mm. I didn't agree with a thing she said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought it was a real loss for the right. country. You know, I thought she was a great person. Mm. Um, I don't like her. I didn't like her as a justice, mm. but I didn't wish her ill or dead or anything sure. like that. We're not. We're not traveling down that path now. No, no, no. I, I think I do think America is traveling down a very precarious Dangerous. path now. Oh, yeah, has been for some time. But this this thing of not having anything you agree on, uh, I've commented on this on a number of occasions. But not having anything that you agree on is a big problem as a country. Yeah, uh, we talked about that, but it's different. We talked about that last time, yeah. two years ago. Yeah. When, I don't even know how long it was. I mean, it's got so much worse. So much worse. I mean, I think that the abortion thing may actually be, uh, in the end, the thing that breaks us up. You think the country could break? Not because of abortion per se the way it is but because uh i think you're going to see extremists on Mm. the left um you know where they're they're talking about aborting babies 30 days after Mm. birth you know um they're already talking about that in california that they're using tax dollars to fly people in for an abortion industry I, I think that's going to not sit well with a lot of people in in mm. California and elsewhere. And if they push uh, for uh, uh, packing the Supreme Court, if they look like mm. they're going to get away with that, if they mm. look like they're going to get rid of the filibuster, I think the lines are drawn. Uh, mightn't the country just sort of continue going the way it is where people move to the places where it's more in line with their values and you just see this red blue divide just increase. i would hope but i don't you think that's a positive well i mean better than war sure better sure. than war but it feels to me like the the few years before i think the civil war you know abraham lincoln was mm. said to you know he didn't care about the slaves he cared deeply about slavery mm. i mean mm. you know john quincy adams you know, uh, taught him how Mm. to destroy slavery when he was in Congress. And John Mm. Quincy Adams had been fighting it his whole life. Um, So he cared. But when 
he first took office in mm. his first inaugural address, he said, I, I can't do anything. The president right. doesn't have the power to do it. But once the South went off the deep end, mm. then that changed things. Right. And um, I, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of people right now on the right who are like, look, I'm I don't want war. I don't want fight with a neighbor. I just want, I'm tired of this. Mm-hmm. I just want this done. But if the left continues the onslaught of taking on our children and mm-hmm. calling us terrorists, if we say mm-hmm. back up from our children, yeah. if you start destroying the institutions more than they already are, mm-hmm. and you just change all the rules, mm-hmm. I don't know people are going to sit around. I wish there was a way to build them back up. I mean, that would be the obvious conservative solution would be to, to try to build up the institutions again. I, but I think it's very, very hard. That's what the court did. Mm. The court is correcting a mistake. Mm. And they made a ve- I don't know if you read the case, but they yeah, made yeah, a yeah. very cogent uh, argument yeah. that this is not about politics. This isn't even about abortion. This is about our role. Yeah. And we shouldn't be in politics. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, as I say, I'm just all I feel is, you know, strap yourself in. This is going to be a hell of a ride. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, we've been through very long years in the last few years, and um, I think they're going to get longer and noisier for sure. So let's talk a little bit about the war, because I Mm. think there, you know, I've been trying to say to people lately Things have changed and you you're not at a shooting war, thank God, but we are at war for the survival of the West. Yes, I think so. Um, I think very clearly. And there's there's no greater demonstration of that than what I describe as as the war on Western history. Um, You know, the, the countries, societies, cultures hold together around the stories that they tell. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those stories are slightly you know, exaggerated, and sometimes sure. they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, often they're absolutely, you know, a fair representation of of what has happened. But you have to have a shared story. Um, you can't have totally different narratives about how you got to where you are. And in America, even worse than any other country in the West, and this is a solely Western problem, and you don't see this anywhere else in the world. In America in particular, there is a deep, deep war going on over the nature of your past. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's terrifying to watch because if you don't agree on that, there's, there's nothing, nothing you, left. You, there's nothing left. You can agree on at mm-hmm. the moment. You can't, what are you going to rally around in 2022 right. if you don't right. agree on anything that happened right up till now? Um, and obviously, you know, we all saw this in recent years. There was the, uh, the summer of 2020 and the pulling down of statues. But then the, you know, two things I noticed. One was that that, that was just a sort of hardcore version of something that had already been happening, mm-hmm. the rewriting of American history for the 1619 Project and other things. Um, that had been going on for quite a long time. Suddenly sped up. Suddenly went right to the heart of everything in America. You know... People said, well, they're just coming for the southern generals. And then then it was like the founding fathers in no time Mm -hmm. at all. Then it was, you know, know, that CNN reporter uh, um, said before the Mount Rushmore speech of Mm -hmm. Donald Trump said, 
he's going to be standing, the president's going to be standing in front of uh, slave owners on stolen land. You know, you think, wow, if you, if you think that, you know, you, you're not what America, you what do you have in what America? Do you have? And, um, and by this stage, uh, something else has happened, which is the preemptive cleansing of American history. You know, this isn't just about mob sort of attacks on statues in weird, mm -hmm. wacko places like Portland. It's, you know, it's the statue of Thomas Jefferson being wheeled, pulled down, crated up and wheeled out the back door of the city state chamber in New York. And one of the council members saying, Thomas Jefferson doesn't represent our values. And, you know, when you have a when you have the New York Council. Mm hmm taking Thomas Jefferson down. You don't need the mob Correct. anymore. They're, they're doing that for the mob. And we've, of course, we've seen that with statues of Abraham Lincoln. We've seen statues of Lincoln pulled down by mobs in this country, but we've also seen them taken away by officials, mm -hmm. by the local authorities in Boston. Mm -hmm. uh, trying to get ahead of the mob, or what exactly? Agreeing on the new rewriting of Lincoln that the mob is doing? See, I think this is the thing that conservatives have seen that have caused us not to believe anymore. Because right. we thought our institutions were, were safe havens, were yes. solid, but it's been eaten by yeah. termites. You, so there, were no, there, there were no stop gates. None. No. It was just, it, it, it had already been rotted from the inside out. Yeah, I, and... and what disturbs me about this as well is that, I mean, that could happen organically in a way, <laughs> but this is pushed. <laughs> I mean, there is a deliberate push to change the American story. You know, I was re recently uh, reading Paul Johnson's History of the American Peoples, and I'm going to misquote this, but the opening line of that, this book was is something like, the history of, of the American people is the greatest story in human history. Something like that. Mm -hmm. And this book was published in 2000. I mean, I don't need to tell you what book, what mainstream book would start with that, with that claim today. None. So getting to the gym to work out, great idea and all. Um, but the problem is once you're there, I guess you're supposed to use those machines or something. I don't. I don't know. Getting fit and staying healthy is is a lot of work. Just I'm still doing all the work up here. Um, but if you're going to do it, you also have to eat healthy. And that for me means snacking healthy. Thankfully, Bilt Bars are here to save the day. It's a rare snack that actually tastes good and is good for you. I don't I can't think of another thing that is good for you and tastes good. Carrots, shut up. Most Built Bars have about 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, 17 grams of protein, also made with 100% chocolate. Amazing flavors you're going to love. Get rid of the snacks that taste good but aren't really friendly. You know what I'm saying? Put on a little LBs here. You could stand. Even if you're not working out. <laughs> You can at least be eating something that tastes good, but is also good for you. Uh, it's kind of like working out, except it tastes good and you're only working your mouth and your digestive system. Built.com. Use the promo code BEC15. Get 15% off your order. Use promo code BEC15 at Built.com.
The whole story of America has been rewritten from a story of heroism to one of sin, from one of amazing accomplishment by extraordinary people to horrible things done by unforgivably bad people. And that's how you get to the stage you're at at the moment where, I mean, why would you agree on anything if a significant part of the country has been taught to believe that there's nothing good about the country? So here's the, here's the part that bothers me. Um, I can have a conversation with anyone if you're honest mm -hmm. about your Search for truth. Sure. You know, if if I'm not willing to change my mind, if you make a great case on something, then I'm not really being honest. You sure. know what I mean? I cannot come up with a good reason for these things to be happening. I can see people are being, you know, I don't even know, hypnotized, baptized, whatever it is mm. uh, into this cult. I can see that. But the people who started it and the people who are really running it, they know exactly what oh, yeah. they're doing. I mean, I give, I give an example in the War on the West of look at the tactic that's been used on all of our heroes. Mm -hmm. Whether it's uh, the Founding Fathers of America, whether it's Winston Churchill mm -hmm. in the UK, whether it's um, all the thinkers of the Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. There's one tactic that's been used on all of them, which is... You are guilty of living in history mm -hmm. and not having the values that we have in 2022. You know, as I like to say, you know, the, 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 the shorthand for this is they're guilty of being dead white men. Mm. Uh, the cardinal sins of not just being white and male, but also dead, it appears, because, of course, none of the critics think that's going to happen to them. Um, but this sort of derisive, de these are just dead white men. Well... They're dead white men who brought you everything you've got, so you, you could right. have a bit of damn gratitude to start with. But put that aside for a moment. All these, all these figures have been attacked in, in exactly the same way. Winston Churchill held Victorian attitudes about certain subjects. Surprise, surprise. He was born in Victorian England. <laughs> right. you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, you know, maybe should have had progressive 2020s <laughs> attitudes about a range of things and gay marriage. And right. that. But, you know, amazingly enough, he didn't. Uh, so the same thing is done against Jefferson, same thing is done against Lincoln, same thing is done against all the philosophers of the Enlightenment, who, who every single one of them has now been torn down, actually literally in a number of their cases. Voltaire's statues pulled down in, in Paris. David Hume's name taken off the buildings named after him in Scotland. These people who brought us Jeez. the ideas of reason and rationalism now stand condemned all for the same things. They lived at a time when slavery went on. They lived at a time when colonialism went on. And the best for the people who come after them is they said something racist once. Mm -hmm. So these are, these are the, the three tools used against everyone in our past. And I say at one point in the war in the West, okay, let's look at who this is not done to. Let's look at the figures that they skip over. Yep. So I, I, had, I had great joy <laughs> in going through the private and public writings of Karl Marx. Mm -hmm. Karl Marx, by the standards of today and by the standards of his own day, 
was unbelievably racist. Mm-hmm. He repeatedly uses the N-word in his private correspondence to Engels, usually hyphenated with Jew, because, of course, he's also very mm-hmm. anti-Semitic, has horrible views on slavery, horrible views on colonialism, um, by the standards that the left has applied to every single one of our heroes. Karl Marx should be toast. Correct. Right. Why not? Why isn't he? I do believe that one of the reasons is that um, this isn't the only explanation for what's going on, but it's one of them. There are people who want to make sure that we are robbed of everything in our past except that strain so that they can say, here is Marxism. That's what's left standing. There is no other explanation as to why they have skipped over Karl Marx. And since uh, the War on the West came out and the serializations and things, and a number of people wrote about this because they didn't know about Marx's mm-hmm. racism. Um, I mean, one, one, one person wrote saying, I, what Marx said and what Douglas says in his book, I can't repeat in this paper. It's, it's, quite, it's quite true. It's horrible, horrible stuff. Um, since that came out, some of the Marxists have come out and attacked me on this, and they've said things like, well, there's two arguments they've been using. One is, that's unfair. He was a man of his time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Um, hmm. Like everyone else. Right. Like Thomas Jefferson. Like Winston Churchill. Like Winston Churchill, man of his time. Mm-hmm. The second thing they, they say is, well, w- we look to him for his views on economics, not for his personal views. That's, I mean, this is the excuse with Margaret Sanger. Right. You know, Margaret Sanger, a horrible racist. Right. But, I mean, she was right about women and so, women's reproductive rights. So it seems to me they're trying, that, that a group of the people who are the anti-Westernists of our day, and I can't stress this enough, this is, this is Western anti-Westernism. You know, there's, there's Middle Eastern anti-Westernism, mm-hmm. there's Chinese anti-Westernism, but the most crucial and serious one is Western anti-Westernism, is, as you say, the termites eating out mm-hmm. the whole structure mm-hmm. around us. And one of those strands is definitely people who want to say at the end of all this, only one strain of thought left standing. Some of the people I quote in the book, prominent figures, actually say things like, the Enlightenment is the problem. You know, reason is the problem. Uh, rationalism is the problem. The same thing. And again, this is not fringe stuff. Randy Weingarten of the American Teaching mm-hmm. Union, testing is the problem. You know, that it's gone all the way through. Everything is a problem except for a few things that they want to leave standing. And I think this has to be called out and identified because we are being fed a total crock on this, a total lie. And they don't have the right to do this. A crippling lie that, I mean, just the lie that you can't make it, that you shouldn't take risks, Mm. um, that everybody gets a trophy, all of that stuff that Mm. started long ago, that's going to cripple the free market. Oh, for sure. Uh, but no the, one will take risks. Well, they don't. They don't mind that. By the way, I, I should tell you, there's a there's a bit in here I write about the uh, the 1619 project uh, bit on uh, on capitalism. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. There wasn't enough uh, attention paid to this, but part of the critique of the 1619 project was a critique of capitalism itself. Now, again, what do you think? What do you think the accusations that they make against capitalism are? Um, They are, unsurprisingly, that capitalism is derived from slavery, colonialism, and much more. And the claim that they they make is that, as a result, capitalism itself is, from its origins, a racist thing. 
Okay, so the, the, this, this, is, this is what the 1619 Project's genius, uh, a sociologist called Matthew Desmond, said. The headline of his piece was, in order to understand the brutality of American capitalism, you have to start on the plantation. Hmm. And his argument was that, for instance, everything like tracked, uh, tracking, recording, and analyzing precise quantification, many of these techniques we now take for granted were developed by and for large plantations. Okay, he says, he says this is a 1619 project, Pulitzer Prize winning um, project of the New York Times. Um, he says that systems that were consisting of things that were tracked, recorded, and analyzed uh, tie everyone sitting at their desk in modern America doing their work directly to the plantations. And he says at one point um, that there's a direct line from the slaveholders' spreadsheets into Microsoft Excel. Well, here's the Unbelievable. thing. Unbelievable. Here's the thing. First of all, the man is wildly ignorant. The plantation system had nothing to do with capitalism. The plantation system was a feudal system. A child could tell this ignoramus this. <laughs> a child could look at these two systems and recognize there is no similarity. So why do they do it? Why, does, why is part of the hit job of the 1619 Project to commission a drive-by shooting by an ignoramus against Western capitalism, intending to draw a line from the slave plantations to Western capitalism? To because, destroy it. Because they want to destroy Western capitalism, like everything else. And, you know, the ill intent of these people can just never be, you know, stressed enough. It's just underestimated. You can never underestimate them. They, they decide on their conclusions and then they work backwards. This Correct. idiot, actually at one point, the only source he can find is one scholar who wrote a book that says the opposite of what he says she says. Okay, so, and my they fear do that is, a lot. My fear is that like, most people don't have time for this crap. Mm -hmm. Like, we're trying to get on with our lives. People are trying to build their families. They're trying to, to pay the mortgage. They're trying to, trying to put food on the table and much more. And when somebody comes at them, let alone, like, prominent figures and, and let alone prominent politicians who are meant to be safeguarding your legacy as a country, when they come at you and say, you know, when you sit down and uh, do your work, you're actually basically part of the same thing as the plantations. I know most people don't know what to say. That I, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. It's likely to be, an, uh, or, or mm -hmm. you turn off or mm -hmm. something. When somebody says, you know, Thomas Jefferson was just a slave uh, owner, like most people, are like I don't know. I, I was told there was more to him than that. Um, but they'll turn off, or they'll. I don't need to tell you, Glenn. People need to be armed to know how to fight back against this. They need to know what the arguments are. They need to know the specifics. But more importantly, they need to see this underlying trend that is going on. You know, uh, no other culture is doing this to itself. Nobody else. You know, like the, the, every other culture on earth wants to think well of itself. And I believe that most people, most people in America do. Most people in the West do. But we've been kind of submerged under this just slurry that has come flooding across everything that we were told, that we knew and that we loved. They've just polluted the whole darn thing. And I think we have to be able to take it back. We have to say, you won't do that to our heroes. You know, it's a very common thing in cultural revolutions for this to happen. When I was going around the States just before the election of 2020, I was visiting about 10 states or so. 
I was in Portland after they'd torn all the stuff down there and saw the riots. I saw what remained of the center of Seattle, which had been a beautiful city, I remember, only, only 15 years earlier when I was there. Um, when, when I saw these things, I thought, you know, the, 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 there is a risk that the American public square is going to become completely empty. You know, there's going to be no one left. And I think that's roughly very nearly where we are. But this is what cultural revolutionaries have done throughout history. You know, from the ancient world onwards, you, you go into the temples of your enemies, you tear down their statues, mm -hmm. you urinate on their altars, mm -hmm. you, you destroy the whole sanctuary and say, your gods are dead, we've got new ones for you. Mm -hmm. That's what they're hoping to do to America and the wider West. They're very well advanced on it. And the, and the glimmer of hope is that I believe that if the majority regain their voice, these people don't stand a chance. I would agree with that. I think that uh, I think that Elon Musk was a really, really exciting moment. Mm -hmm. yeah, moment. Um, you know, between him and DeSantis in mm -hmm. Florida, these are guys that uh, have grown their strength out of weakness. Yes, uh, and they are. Um, they're they're moving in ways, and Musk is is interesting because he's not your typical conservative. No, he's he's not just, a, yeah, he's not right. he's a libertarian like Silicon Valley guy. Right. I mean, right. Like, how he's become like a leader of the far right, I don't know. It, MSNBC, uh, by the way, uh, yesterday did a hit, hit job on him. One oh, idiot, my gosh. One of their idiot presenters said, uh, Elon Musk, not only is he going to unleash the far right, but they also described him as not especially intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have some darn humility, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to say you agree with the guy, but acknowledge that it's pretty impressive. The the only thing that I see with this is, would you agree with me that we're dealing with people who will are the kind of if I can't have you, no one will. They're the burn it down. Oh kind yeah, of crap. sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they will do everything mm -hmm. to destroy Elon Musk or oh, yeah. anyone. You, I yeah. guarantee you, if Trump doesn't run and DeSantis runs. They will say DeSantis is far worse than Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know They've what I mean? To. Yeah, they have to. They will use any tactic and they will destroy. If Elon Musk, and I think they know this, if Elon Musk stands and really kind of just laughs them off, yeah, yeah. It, is well, the, it is the beginning of the end. I, I think we've seen a little bit of that, haven't we? Because for the first time in the last year or so, people have started to survive the mob. Mm -hmm. I mean, the most obvious example is Joe Rogan. Um, you might say Dave Chappelle as well. It's interesting mm -hmm. that comedians have been such a target, but of course they are because they say things mm -hmm. that everyone wants to say. And, right. you know. um, but, but no, I, I think that there are people now who are surviving the takeout attempts. And, and starting think, to wear it as a badge of honor. Well, yeah. And, no, and, and, and I was speaking actually to Joe Rogan about this the other day, and he said, um, he said it helped that the people trying to take me down were CNN. <laughs> Yeah, because nobody trusts them, mm -hmm. and and but still, my my worry is that these sort of prominent figures, these very successful uh, figures, can survive it, but but the whole thing can't turn around until all of us can till the bottom. You know, the the, mm -hmm. the person doing a normal job is able to survive saying something that is true, 
until that's possible you know it's 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 not enough you know it's not enough that like i don't know very successful authors like jk rowling success, mm-hmm. successfully su- survive the mob or that you know these figures i just mentioned do it's it's got to go all, all the way down the economy it's got to be at every level it and has to be the student that can say sorry yes man is a man yeah yeah woman's yeah. a woman yeah you know what I mean? I agree, and I, I found that before um, before the lockdowns and everything started in recent years, when I was doing public events with various other people, and 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 sometimes just going to things I, um, and, and watching, I would often ask um, the young people in the audiences who are not by any means conservative. I'd ask them, you know, what brought you out this evening, and there are always two answers or variants of two answers. The first was, I want to. Um, I'm fed up of just watching YouTube videos on my own sort of thing. I want to be with people who are thinking about the same things, which is different from an ideological movement, mm-hmm. other than it's an ideological movement of people who are interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the second thing you very often heard was, I want to be near people who are saying something I'd like to say at some point. Now, this is very important for this country. Wow. It's very important for this country. And I think we probably both know this in our personal lives. If there's something that's on the sort of, you know, the edge of your brain, you're thinking, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I can see that's true, but I'm... Um, I don't want to be the first one. I don't so. want to be the first one. And if somebody else jumps in with their boots, you know, into it, you immediately think, oh, okay, that's easier. And sometimes, as you know, the disappointing thing is it's got to be you that's the mm-hmm. first one to jump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need to tell you. Um, but... but but I, I think that we all know in our lives that that is actually the case. Uh, we, that's why people. That's why people listen to the people who are attacked. It's not just that they're attacked; they're listening because the people who are being attacked are saying the things other people would like to say. Yeah. You know, um, whenever I refer to you know things like uh, the, the Leah Thomas uh, thing, I say, well, I mean, it's it's possible you can be a guy and whenever you get in the water you feel kind of feminine but <laughs> like a mermaid of some kind i don't really i'm not sure i'm not sure it holds biologically or anything right. like that yeah you know um and um and i know that whenever i say that a number of people are gonna think i can i can say something like that yeah and and it's the same with with the arguments i make in this book i, I want people to realize that for instance it's perfectly permissible to defend your culture and your civilization and your country. It's perfectly possible that when somebody comes at you saying you're totally rotten, there's nothing good that you've done, you can say, hang on a minute, let me tell you some things. I mean, you know, I mentioned in the book, and I, 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 I jump over some of the really, you know, hot button ones that we've had in recent times, you know, the issues of slavery, colonialism and, and, and racism. And, you know, one of the things I say is, you know, the remarkable thing about the West is not that we had slavery. Every civilization in history had slavery. They all did. Um, The remarkable thing about the West is that we got rid of it. You know, there are 40 million slaves in the world today, estimated. Mm -hmm. I've met some on my travels. And I think there's 70 countries that don't have any anti-slavery laws it, it, it's unbelievable across africa and across mm-hmm. the middle east and there are there are places like the gulf states was basically slavery oh, yeah. you know i mean you can't pretend the filipino workers are anything but but 
chattel, really. Yeah. And their lives don't mean anything to the locals. Um, so, so 40 million slaves in the world today is more slaves than there were in the 19th century. Okay, so clearly this is a problem. That it's a thing that humans have done and civilizations yep. have done. Again, why would we be destroying ourselves in America over something we settled two centuries ago? Right. Why would we be tearing ourselves ab about this now? Other than if we fall into the story first, that it was only us. And I don't think that one in a million Americans know, for instance, that w what some people say maybe up to 12 million slaves were taken across the Atlantic in the transatlantic mm. slave trade. 18 million were taken east to the Arab countries from Africa in the same time. Why don't we know about this? Because you, they were castrated. Right. There were no more generations of them. And when you go to the uh, 12 million, America took two Right. The rest went to South America. Brazil had, had, was still slave oh, trading until the 1880s. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Royal Navy. There were the was, the was Native policing. Americans had slaves again until 1873 or something right. like that. And I mean, in this, we, we've got to start to work out this ledger accurately. Right. Um, you know, d does our civilization uniquely owe people for things that happened two centuries ago? I'd say not. I'd say not. I say the debt is paid. It's paid down. It was paid in blood. It was paid in blood. In America, in Britain, the Royal Navy, after uh, slavery was abolished in the United Kingdom, policed the high seas at significant costs of treasure and blood, boarding ships on their way to Brazil and, mm -hmm. and storming the holds and freeing slaves. This, this, you know, so when somebody comes at you and says, and says, as we have had in America in particular in recent years, you know, this is your original sin, for instance. I want to say, okay, what's the original sin of the other countries? What's their, what, they must have them. Oh, is it just us? It, I don't know how we can make this argument when so many of us have Apple products made in China. I know. Which is a horrific, horrific yeah. nation on human rights. Sure, I mean... You know, it's it's one of the great rules I try to follow. It's something an editor once said to me. Every peoples in history have done things that you look back on and you think, what the hell were they thinking? Right. And just to say, right. Well, but some of them are still doing it. Some of them are still doing it. And, he, but, and here's, a, here's, here's a sort of follow-on th thing is, assume there are things we do in our own day which our successors are going to see as being nuts. Mm-hmm. Lots Try to more. work out what they are now. Mm -hmm. I, don't just spend your time judging the mm -hmm. 18th century or something. Watch out what it is now. I would have thought what you've just referred to is one of them. I do They too. will say, how in America in the 2020s did they become obsessed again about slavery 300 years earlier, and rewrite miss. their whole story and miss the fact that there were concentration camps in China yep. going on in their own day, slavery going on around the world in their own day. Why were they uninterested? They and are going to look at us. Historians in 100 years will look at us as insane. Yes. Just psychotic. Yes. Split personality people. And, you know, and here's one reason why. We have fallen. And I, have, I have a chapter in the book on... What is it? I say, you know, one of the answers, one of the deep answers to this. We have fallen into an era based in resentment, based mm -hmm. in resentment. The deepest thing of the time, the left injected it. I think parts of the right have now got it as well. But it is a Explain world, that. Well, Explain that, because I think I agree with you. 
Because you can have a worldview based entirely on what you haven't got, what other people have got at your expense. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this, this crosses all races, all cultures, oh, yeah. all classes, all socioeconomic structures. We all know people who don't have very much at all in terms of money, who are the most grateful and kind and, and you know, charitable people you could come across. And I'm sure we've all met people as well who seem very wealthy, who are just run through with bitterness and, and, and resentment, mm -hmm. things that they, things that people did to them, mm -hmm. things that, you know, they should have got and they didn't. Mm -hmm. So this is nothing to do with, with, with class. It's a human instinct, resentment. And the problem with resentment once it brews is that there is no end to it because you go searching for it. You know, Nietzsche says at one point, there is a type of person who tears at wounds long since healed and then cries about the pain that they suffer. <laughs> Recognize the type? Yeah. Recognize the type all over America today. I've been having this row uh, in the last few days since, uh, since the war in the West came out about the reparations thing. A number of people who've, who've been coming at me on social media, because I don't, I don't say coming, I don't care. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's interesting to me. It doesn't bother me. But uh, people saying, you know, uh, we're coming for our checks. We're coming for the money because of what happened to us. I said, who is us? Who is us? Um, you, you, you talk about people you never knew and you demand money on their behalf, I want my stuff. I want my stuff is the cry of resentful period, res resentful people across history. I'm owed stuff. Now, the thing is, is that, and again, this is what Nietzsche says, is that these people have to have one answer that you can say back at them, which nobody wants to hear. The answer you can say back at them is, is there is a person who's kept you back. There is a person who's destroyed your life. You. You. You are the one. The that, problem is that, that nobody wants to hear that. That used to be the thing that brought people here. You yes. know, the, the rest of the world, you were kept down by right. guilds and everything else. And you could come here and there wasn't streets paved with gold. But if you had a dream, you mm. could at least yes. pursue it. And this is, this is also why the American hero is being pulled down matters so much. It's not just about the past. It's about who we emulate. You know, the the, one of the reasons why Americans emulated Abraham Lincoln was not just what he achieved as president. It was how he got there. Yes. You know, he was born essentially in the Iron Age. You know, he yeah. had nothing. Nothing. He probably had uh, one year of formal education. The rest, Abraham Lincoln taught himself. Yeah, well, his, he taught himself. His mom and his father and his, fought him on it the whole time. Yeah. It's, it, is the, it is, you know, the great American story mm -hmm. in one person. Comes from nothing and gets to the highest place in the land. And so this is and, why it also and matters. And is kind and yes. charitable and healing Absolutely. In the end, he was he was killed by Booth because Booth was crazy about with malice toward none, yes. charity towards all. Right. No, yes, you gotta be mad and come down and right. get us because then we'll kick your butt again. So this is the thing: he's not just a, a great president or something like that. He's a great role model, yes, and a kind and a kind of martyr of America. That's right. why you can't take him out; otherwise, you take out America. Right. That's what they know. That's what the cultural revolutionaries know. But my point is, is that is that everybody in their life could have the opportunity 
to be resentful. And America has always distinguished herself as a country by having the opposite attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, as I say, I come from a country where the sort of class structure thing is less than it used to be, but it still exists. And as you say, in Europe and other countries in the West, there is something which is uncommon compared to America, which is a sort of feeling of sometimes, you know, if that person has something, you know, they've got it through some ill means. And America, and I, I sense it myself as a fairly recent arrival, and I've always sensed this. People see somebody with something... Good, and they say, I'd love to have that. Good on that guy. Mm-hmm. In other words, that is the opposite of a, of a resentful person mm-hmm. or a resentful nation. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the true deep opposite of resentment, as I say in one of the chapters in The War in the West, is gratitude. Now, That's gratitude, what we're missing. Gratitude is what is, seems to be completely missing from our lives yes. now. You know, like, I walk around the cities of America, and I, I think, this is amazing. Like... <laughs> Every building here is amazing, let alone the ones that go up and up and up. Like, who came up with that? Um, you, you, you know, you, you can look at cities like that, or you can look at them with the scowl and the resentment and, well, that was probably built on the back of labor that wasn't given enough. And, and you, can, you, know, you can do that on everything. Right. You can do it on absolutely everything. Or you can say, you can say, how amazing that we have this. And one of the things that has happened in American life in particular, but in, in, in the West in, in, as a whole in recent years, has been this total loss of a sense of proportion as to what we are now versus what the rest of the world is now. Never mind what we've been in history. You know, what we are now. Why is it that America is still the number one destination of choice for migrants across the world? Mm. Why? Mm-hmm. Now, if you ask the people of resentment who spent ye- recent years tearing at America, saying it's a racist country and so on, I mean, you know, you didn't see Jews trying to break into Nazi Austria. Nope. You know, um, there, the footfall tells us something. And the footfall, the other countries people want to come to, all of the data shows it. After America, the other countries include Britain, include Canada. They're the Western countries, the Western democracies. So why is that the case? And I would suggest that we should remind ourselves of a very simple truth. They want to come here now because we have something good. Here's the follow-on. If we have something good now... It must be because we've done something good in the past. Correct. Right? It's not an accident. I'm very fond of this quote of Branch Rickey, who said at one point, said, luck is the residue of design. Mm. We're not just lucky in America. The luck comes from what men and women have done before us. And if they had made bad choices, maybe we'd be Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'd be Sudan. There's a reason it's America. There's a reason people want to come. You go across the border to Baja, California, in Mexico. The poverty and the lifestyle is unbelievable. Mm. Well, you're on the same coastline, the yeah. same land, everything. The only difference is, is the belief of the people and mm. the belief of the government. Yeah. That's the only thing that's different. And we are seeing in America in particular an attempt to pull down all of the things that make that prosperity and the ladders possible. 
You know, that's that's a it's a very important thing to people for people to realize that when we've seen the row about, for instance, CRT in American schools in the last mm-hmm. couple of years, I go into a bit of that. But when we look at that, what does that result in in real terms? That whole project results in a claim that, for instance, timeliness is a white quality. Correct. That accuracy in maths is a white quality. That showing your workings is a white quality. That scientific accuracy is a white quality. And on and on. And then that testing is a white thing. Isn't this, though, what you would do if you were preparing people to be slaves? Well, to be totally subjugated and demoralized, for sure. For sure. I mean... You know, you see it in the specifics. Why, again, why would, why would apart from this, this insane war on whiteness, which has come up in recent years, which is just, I mean, we might get onto it, but is the most insane tactical misstep that the radical left could have made, in my view, that warring on white people and saying that white people specifically and y- uniquely across history have something to pay for is why a do you think big that? misstep. Why? <laughs> because white people are the majority. Now, if I said white people are just well, generally generally white people, speaking are have taken it in I, the head over and over and oh, over for sure, again. Yeah. for sure. But when again, when you when when look, let me just finish one other point and come back okay. to that. When you see people again, like American teaching union heads saying mm. that standardized testing is the problem, what are they doing other than removing the ladders that exist for people of all ethnic backgrounds to right. get up? Correct. They think that they're kind of leveling the board somehow. They're not. They're removing the ladders. You know, what is your, what is your best chance if you're a young black um, a boy or girl in America hoping to get out of the situation you've been born into if you've been born into a deprived background. It is to work hard at school. It is to pass your tests. It's to get out. Mm -hmm. Claim that tests are the problem. Get rid of them. You will just make sure everyone is stuck where they are. It's it's an absolute disgrace. And it happens on the specific levels as well of taking out, you know, um, you know, the programs for, for, for students of, of you know, of distinction that's happened in New York and elsewhere. But but just get get back to this point about the, the, the war on whiteness. The insane thing about this is, and, and this may, it's mainly I have to say white people who are doing it. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's like Robin DiAngelo, the biggest race huckster of our day, mm. apart from Ibrahim X. Kendi. Uh, Robin DiAngelo, of course, herself is white, and she says in her disgusting book, uh, "There's no there's no good form of being white, and you can't get out of it." Now, I say, do that with any other group. Say there's no good form of being black, and you can never not be black if you're born black. I mean, we just all just be that's just disgusting racism right there. Well, it is with Robin DiAngelo. She's a racist. Um, Ibram X. Kendi says in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, which I say you should just lose the word anti and you've got the accurate title. That book says the answer to past inequalities is present day inequalities. The answer to past prejudice is present prejudice. So here's the thing. Imagine if we took any minority group in modern day America, any minority group, uh, Asians, Hispanic, anyone, or smaller groups, and said, we've got a message for you. got a set of books, a set of claims, all the major papers, the major networks and others are going to start making the following case against you. They're going to say, there's nothing good about you. They're going to say, you've never had anything good about you. They're going to say, you're born guilty. 
they're going to say that you can't get out of your guilt. You can never atone for it. They're going to say that you have no ancestors to be respected. That they're going to say that you have no history. This is what they're going to do, and much, much more. They're going to pathologize you. They're going to say that you have rage. They're going to say you have fragility. They're going to taunt you for your tears. Now, imagine any minority that you did that to. Do you think you could persuade them? Do you think they would say, we love the sound of that. We're going to go for that. Sure, whatever you want. So, no. I don't think any minority group would go along for that. But that is the ride that they are inviting the majority in America, Britain, and the rest of but the West to go comes, along with. But that would... Um, it's like an insane overreach. Right. But that would come also uh, along with the white guilt. Well, I sure. do have a lot. I mean... You know, the, the, the insidious thing is you've never you, you confess your privilege. Yeah. You, you what you've had no privilege because right. you're white. I, I, I these these people personally, I've had enough. <laughs> I've had enough. Yeah, me too. They can't guess my privilege and I owe them nothing for any Correct. privileges or downsides I've had in my life. I don't owe them an explanation and I'm not going to give them one. Mm -hmm. Most of my ancestors were far from privileged, very far from privileged. Mine too. Tilled small amounts of not very fertile land, just about made it through winters, uh, and in the 20th century were called on twice to give their lives for a far-off war that they didn't know much about. Um, th that was the story of most of our ancestors, of people who were white. Mm -hmm. They weren't privileged. And we're not, and, we, and so we've just got to say, say we're, we're not having that. When you try to pathologize us and say we suffer from white rage or white fragility or anything else, you say absolutely not having it. And, and there's a standoff that's now necessary, I'm afraid. And it, it can be done politely, but it will have to be done along these lines. You show no respect for me. I'm showing no respect for you. You don't respect anything about my past. Why should I respect yours? You don't respect my ancestors. Why should I respect yours? You don't respect my culture. Why should I respect yours? Doesn't that deepen the divide? My suggestion is that the, the standoff like that could help solve it because it says, don't you make me lesser than. I'm not going to make you lesser than. You know, I don't think I'm better than anyone else because of the color of my skin. It's a ridiculous <laughs> idea. I'm like, you have to be crazy to think that. It's like saying I'm better than you because I'm a man. I, I mean, it's like, or the, I'm 5'10". But... Somebody else isn't better than me because of their skin color either. It's a totally unimportant thing. But if it's unimportant, you cannot weaponize it against one group. And I think that mm. people have to be told to step back from this. We have to make the race hucksters like D'Angelo and Kendi, we have to make them hold, be held to account for what they've done. These people have re-racialized American society. When they come along talking of reparations now for things done centuries ago, they are, they are dividing American society anew. And what do they think the reparations would look like in the 21st century? It, 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 I mean, how would you even, okay, I'm white, but my family didn't come over until 1880. Right. So did 
do I have to pay the reparations? What? How do we and how do we work it out among people who are descended from slaves and slavers? Yeah, I mean, don't let's forget that the people who 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 were responsible for the origin of the slave trade were black Africans selling their brothers and sisters. As Voltaire says, the only thing worse than what the Europeans did to the Africans was what the Africans did to their brother Africans. So, are we going to work out who's de- who's descended from who? Are we going to set up a great big DNA database mm. in, in in a country that isn't wild about the idea of even showing your basic voter ID when you go to the polls? I don't know how that one's going to work. Mm-hmm. So these people don't really mean it. I don't think they really mean it. I think they want to tear at wounds, oh, reopen yeah. them, and claim victimhood. And we have to say, not, not hmm, that's an interesting discussion, or I wonder how we could do that, but no, no, we've paid. We've paid. It's settled. Move on. Somebody said to me today, um, if, if, uh, if, a car, uh, if, a, if a car crashed into you and you could never get hold of your insurance company or any others... Um, anyone else's, you know, wouldn't you feel that you were owed? I said, sure, if that happened to me. But if it happened to one of my ancestors centuries ago, I'd kind of think, well, I'm going to get on with my life. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think those are, that's one of those things that um, what you just said, no, is one of those things that you were talking about at the beginning that I thought, I can say that. Mm. I can say that. Yeah. Hearing you so clear mm. on that. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people that don't. I mean, we do a lot of heavy lifting. You you more probably than me. But we do a lot of mental uh, heavy lifting. Well, on, I would say it's a pleasure. Yeah. Pardon me? It's a pleasure. Yeah. But it's it's we're thinking of things because we have the time. This is what mm-hmm. we do. That the average person doesn't. That's right. And I think the average person doesn't know exact. There's no model out Mm. there. You know, the model was Donald Trump. Mm. That wasn't necessarily a good Mm. model, Mm. you know. Mm. Um, And uh, there's no real um, model of people getting along, people having friendly discussions that disagree with each other, and nobody that can just clearly stand up. I mean, that's yeah. the thing I love. Churchill is one of my, fa- one of my favorite people in history. Yeah, cool. Um, and he just didn't seem to care. He knew <laughs> what was right yeah, for yeah. Europe and for England, uh, and he said it. And, mm. you know, if you read about Churchill from the Indian perspective, he's a monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they accuse him of things that he didn't do. Yeah, but... <clears throat> He also did some things sure. that, you know, he wasn't proud of even at the yeah. end of his life. But that makes him human. Sure. That makes him human in that age, you know. And was he getting better or was he worse yeah, by the yeah. end of his life? Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, there's people, people need more examples. Mm. And to be able to see people in their office stand up and say, no, I'm not going, I'm not going to that. I'm not going to the seminar where I have to confess my whiteness. That's right. Absolutely. You can, you can say no um, and should. Um, do you know that great speech of Churchill's on the death of Chamberlain? I'm not sure. Um, on the death of Neville Chamberlain, um, who was obviously his main adversary, yeah. um, Winston Churchill gave one of the greatest speeches ever given. Um, in 1940, Chamberlain had obviously only very recently had to leave office and died very shortly afterwards of yeah. cancer. 
and Churchill gave the most remarkable speech. I urge people to look it up. He, he, and it's a very, very generous speech, like you say about Lincoln, an extraordinarily mm -hmm. magnanimous man. And he says, among other things, he says, what, is, what was the mistake of Neville Chamberlain to have fallen for the lies of a wicked man? You know? But he also says he has an extraordinary passage, in, and I'll try to do it off my heart, but he says, um, he, says uh, um, he, he talks about history and how it will view any man. And he says at one point, uh, he says, history with her flickering lamp stumbles along the trails of the past and illuminates with pale echoes the former days. He says, what is the worth of all this? He says, the only guide to a man is his conscience. The only shield to his memory is the rectitude and the sincerity of his actions. And as he says, he says, we have to hold on to those things because... Our hopes, he says, are so often mocked. Mm. In one phase, men seem to have been right, and in another, they seem to have been wrong. He says, but if you hold on to these things, he says, however the fates may play, you march always in the ranks of honor. Now, that was one of the key insights that Churchill had, was you will hold on to the rectitude and the sincerity of your actions and the fates will play with you and they will knock you and they will buff in mm -hmm. you. And sometimes the whole world will be against you. But hold on to them and you march always in the ranks of honor. I, I talked to a guy who studied, uh, he wrote the book, The Pendulum. I don't know if you've ever mm -hmm. read it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's the 80-year the swing from me to we. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and he tracked it all yes. the way back. And it's fascinating. And uh, I called him up and he said, I've been waiting for you to call me. And uh, <laughs> he said, I've been watching you for a while. He said, you know, you're not going to win. And I was like, what? And he said, no, no, no. He said, there's lots of people like you out there. I think you're one of them. That we are marching at a, at a time against the the main feeling and movement uh and it will be recognized later as the right thing mm. but these people all throughout history that are mm. are marching uh, to to the drum of yes. honor and integrity yes um that's it's possible. I mean, I never really think of winning or losing because I just think you do what you think is right. And yeah, no, no, no. And exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just sort of, well, Correct. maybe maybe it'll come right in my own time. Maybe right. it won't. I don't. I mean, I Correct. hope. I know what I hope, but I, right. I don't rely on it. And um, and the, that friction of marching against the crowd is, I, my experience, a perfectly pleasant one. You know, I don't mind it. I think it sharpens you. Yeah, opposition I, in all things. It's in. Yes, who it's would want really to be going along with lockstep with everything you were told? And, no. and I hope that young people in particular watching realize this, that, 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 you know, they're being offered today a really banal list of things, you know, a really banal list of things. They're being told that, you know, the meaning of life is, is to be found in social activism and, um, and seeking social justice and confessing their privilege. And if they're white, kind of shrinking themselves and kind of, mm -hmm. you know, hoping they get through life without anyone noticing and then dying and hoping that they didn't harm anyone. Mm -hmm. um, this is not a heroic narrative. 
Mm-mm. This is a slave narrative. I mean, this is a this is a subservient narrative, and it's being it's being offered to everybody, uh, and it's being offered to the people who claim who who it's said can then present themselves as victims, and the people who it's alleged benefit from privilege. They mm-hmm. are all being invited to follow a slave narrative, a specifically subservient form of life mm-hmm. where you cringe your way through. That's why they attack people like Elon Musk, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think. This is a guy who's simultaneously trying to work out how we have cars without fossil fuels and is also trying to work out how to get to Mars. That sounds like a pretty pretty full agenda. Mm-hmm. They attack these people. They don't want people who actually dream big. They don't want people who do things big. They don't want that. They want the era to admire weak people. Was it Hank or Harry Reardon? Reardon Steele from Atlas Shrugged. Did oh, you? Oh yes, yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Remember the, the, it, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I've been a long time. That's why I can't remember his name. I think I have it right. But that was his main crime. Right. You're doing it on your own. You mm. can't do it. Right. You cannot do it on your own, and, and we, you can't do it for your purposes. And we have to. We have to remind, particularly as I say, particularly younger people, that this is a lie, and that they are being offered a bad life, and they. I think they know it. I I'm think, sure. I'm sure they can sense it, but they have to be reminded of it. So, so, so what is a good life in this? It is to dream bigger. It is to think bigger. It is not to be a slave with slave mentality and subservient mentality. It is whatever your racial background to realize that if you're born in the West, you've been given already the biggest head start you could have in life. Don't throw it away. Don't piss it away. Make sure you make something of yourself. You've been given the best opportunity you can be given from the start. So don't waste it. Do something amazing. How are we perceived overseas? <laughs> are we the disease? Most people see it. See America as, I mean, uh, America used to be a net importer of bad ideas, and now it's a net exporter. See countries like France, no less a figure than the French president, has mm-hmm. said we cannot allow this American cultural movement of you know all the BLM and CRT stuff. But that's we can't allow it to come into France. I've seen so, that happening over in England, oh, sure. but it's not taking root. Well, no, I, I describe in the War in the West the way in which this is taking root in, in, in Britain that it's come from America. You know, the BLM movement when it kicked off in the US immediately was replayed yeah. in the UK. It doesn't fit. I mean, like, among other things, as I point out at the time, we have, we have unarmed police officers, you know. They, <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't have uh, even the specifics. So these very ugly attempts to sort of import it wholesale. I think English-speaking countries are particularly vulnerable to the American political exports and cultural exports. Other countries realize they've got to cut themselves off from it. And sadly, people in countries like Britain are also realizing that, that you can't import, you mustn't import, you must keep this away. You must keep the cultural revolution out of your country. We'll see if that works. As for the rest of the world, well, I mean, one of the chapters in The War on the West, I give the example of what what the rest of the world is doing whilst America is doing this. We spoke a bit earlier about China, but what a shot in our own feet we keep on doing. You know, um, take those early moments of the Biden administration when Secretary Blinken meets his opposite numbers Mm. and is berated by them for Mm -hmm. daring to question 
what the Chinese government is doing. Mm. And then look at that amazing cell phone of America at the United Nations in March of last year. Uh, the new ambassador, the American ambassador to the United Nations, uh, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, gives a speech on International Racism Awareness Day at the UN, which is one of those very productive mm -hmm. sessions. Of course, racism was, I think, ended after that day. Um, <laughs> and uh, the American representative gives a speech saying that America is a racist society. She identifies um, uh, the killing of George Floyd. She identifies the, the spa massacre that had nothing to do with race as another example of racism. She says that America has had this from the foundations, that the foundations mm -hmm. were, were founded in sin. She does all of this and then remembers at the end of the speech to say, oh, and there's other forms of racism in the world, like the treatment of Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar and also the Uyghurs in uh, China. Who's the next person up at the UN but the Chinese ambassador who says... America has no right to lecture the Chinese people. And, and the, the representative says, the Chinese representative says, America has done something unique today. Their representative has come to the United Nations and confessed their guilt. So mm. they have no right to tell the Chinese people anything. That's how the rest of the world views America. They view it as idiotic, self-punching, self-destructive, self-owning, self-destroying. And this is convenient for some of the rest of the world, you know? Mm -hmm. It's very convenient for our opponents, our competitors, that we would spend this period in history doing this. Tell me, tell me about Russia and your view of... I mean, it just, this just doesn't seem right. It doesn't sit right with me, this whole... seems to me like we are pushing for war. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I worry um, and I care for the um, Ukrainian people. But I... I uh, and maybe I'm just like the people were in the 1930s with Hitler... You know, let's 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 hold on here. I don't want mm -hmm. him in there. Mm -hmm. I don't want him crossing that border. Mm. But but let's not get into a global sure. war. Uh, let's also. I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, that that's what has to be averted at all costs. And there is obviously a very big policy divide in in America at the mm -hmm. moment about this. Of people who see this as an opportunity to to further weaken uh, the Kremlin, which is in general a desirable thing. I think the weaker the Kremlin, the better. Um, but. On the other hand, care for what you wish for, uh, because we don't know what uh, comes we, next. We don't know what comes next. The guy we, also has, we think, cancer. He's not long for the world. You think? It's, Do it's, you? I mean, he looks ill. Yeah. That's for sure. And he's had, I think they said, 56 what they think are radiation treatments, I mean, and now he's going under the knife. There I mean, was this strange wobble he did the other yeah. day somewhere. I mean, yeah, he's certainly finding it harder to hide whatever it is he yeah. does have. But, you know, it's... It, 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 Russian history, even more than the history of most nations, is a reminder that everything can always be worse. You know, <laughs> yes. you know the, the, what yes. comes next isn't necessarily an improvement. Right. I mean, I, I don't know what would happen if uh, if there was actually a power struggle in Moscow, because you know, remember the Americans had a plan once of how to, if, if there was a coup in Pakistan, how to get the nukes out. 
Does anyone have a plan for how to secure the nuclear sites if Russia falls apart? I don't no. know. But one thing I would say, though, is we do have to be very careful not to be dis distracted from the much more important 21st century challenger, which is China. There, I, I see no scenario in which the Russian economy overtakes the American economy no. in our lifetimes. It's like saying you know, that the Greek economy might become the number one world economy. Well, I, but I, there is, of course, as you know, yeah. China, that's another story. That's and a real I'm, I'm concerned that we would take our eye off the ball I and agree. get we're at war on the streets here, then at war in Europe with Russia. Hmm. Uh, you know, Japan is about to collapse on itself mm. economically. Mm. What would stop China from just taking Taiwan and then it's over? Mm. Then it's just then they they yeah. got it all. Well, this, you know, I'm sure I'm sure you've thought like I have in recent years quite often. Like, is this the moment when people kind of realize what we have is quite good here and change tack and I, th I wondered that at the beginning of the uh, coronavirus here. Mm -hmm. I sort of wondered if we would, you know, sort of jog us. I, I wondered that at the beginning of the uh, Ukraine invasion. But so maybe it's a forlorn hope, but maybe it isn't that, you know, the way I, I, I say it to people is I say, uh, you know, if you, if you thought that you didn't like the period of American hegemony, you know, wait till you get the Chinese one. I mean, wait, wait till you see, you know, the, the footage from Shanghai of the residents screaming. Wait until you see that that would be your future for the rest yeah. of time. Uh, um, if you're concerned about what I would describe as last stage human rights acquisitions, like mm -hmm. last, last, last bits of human rights acquisitions, not equal rights under the law mm -hmm. or anything like that, but like the last little bits of it. If, if you think that those last bits not going precisely your way are the worst thing ever. Wait till the Chinese Communist Party has dominance. Mm -hmm. uh, they will be fascinated to hear your human rights complaints. <laughs> really interested. Yeah. 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 Um, it is a pleasure talking to you. Well, likewise. Douglas. Thank you for your book. Thank you for um, standing at the gate and ringing the bell. Well, as I say, it's a, it's a pleasure, but I also think it's a duty. Mm hmm. Optimistic, pessimistic, neutral. Uh, it depends what subject. <laughs> but survival on, of the Americas, uh, of America and survival of the West. So, um, uh, long term optimistic, short term pessimistic, long term optimistic, because, as I said, I don't believe you can in the end subjugate a majority. And the one thing I would add to that is let's not think that there's going to be any one person who leads us out of this. Mm -hmm. The job is up to us, mm -hmm. every single one of us. It's, you know, who is it that, you know, there are no, these academics um, cooking up this stupid CRT rubbish in recent years, coming up with this theory that you know, reminds me of the old joke about the French, you know, this works in practice, but can we make it work in theory? <laughs> um, the, they work at this theory and it's intersectionality and it's such BS, as anyone who looks at it knows. But they're working at this theory, and then they like try to roll it out on the American public. And its first meeting with the American public as a whole, parents, is a disaster. Mm -hmm. Disaster. Like, you're telling my kid that because of their skin color, they're less than another kid? Well, that was working well as a theory when they were working away in, in Berkeley. But when that theory met American moms, correct, different stories. So, as I say, short term, there's going to be a, a lot trouble. of a lot of trouble. 
Long term, there's no way we can't win. No way. Gosh, from your mouth to God's ears. Thank you. Appreciate it, Douglas. It's a pleasure. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people. 